The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to From the Pulpit on the Restoration Radio Network. This weekly show will be a presentation of the most informative sermons, conferences, and lectures from Catholic clergy on critical topics for Roman Catholics to find their way and to hold their faith during this horrendous crisis. The reality and the growth of the modernist heresy which surrounds and threatens to engulf faithful Catholics. From the Pulpit is underwritten by True Restoration, with articles, books, and videos available at truerestoration.org. And while a portion of the operating cost of the radio network are underwritten by True Restoration, our particular show is truly listener-supported. We have annual radio subscriptions for the subscriber of every level, available by clicking the Donate button at truerestoration.org. Restoration radio programs, including this one, are available on blogtalkradio.com slash restorationradio and are syndicated on iTunes and Stitcher. You can follow the work of True Restoration on all social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Flickr, LinkedIn, and Pinterest by following us using the social buttons on truerestoration.org. Tonight, we welcome back to From the Pulpit, His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, who will be delivering two sermons this evening, which is both the close of October, the month of the Holy Rosary, and the vigil of the Feast of All Saints. To close out this month, His Excellency will preach his sermon on the Rosary, and why exactly it is so important for these days giving us many examples of how efficacious it has been throughout history in overcoming the greatest trials facing Catholics when all hope had seemed lost. In the second half of tonight's broadcast, His Excellency will deliver a sermon on the saints. What made them saints? How are we to become saints? Do we desire it? Do we will it? Do we embrace our crosses and follow the example of the saints? These questions should provide the motive for reflection on our lives at this point in our liturgical year, to determine if we are truly striving for heaven. And now, Bishop Sanborn. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. We must never forget that the devil is the prince of this world. And by this world, we do not mean God's creation, but we mean those people who have given themselves over to mortal sin and especially to habits of mortal sin who live normally in mortal sin and have no contrition for it that's the world and he is the prince of those people we are often upset by the political problems in our nation and in the world or by cultural problems uh, the world that we see and in which we live. And we should be upset because many of these things, most of them are outrageous. And we should strive against their influence. But at the same time, you must remember that the devil is the prince of this world and that God will permit him to create an anti-Christian civilization which will produce an antichrist. And the forces of antichrist have been active since the earliest times. St. John in his epistle mentions the antichrist and how he is working in the world. And these forces have gained a great deal of territory that is, in the minds and souls of people over the past four or five hundred years, especially since the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. And we must understand that these forces are coming together more and more now, aided by a great deal of modern technology. 
and that they are well on their way to producing the anti-Christian state and world and the Antichrist as the head of it. And that all of this is predicted and is permitted by God. And so no matter how much we fret and no matter what we do, this is going to take place. And so our world is not going to get any better, it's going to get worse until, in a sense, it has this baby, which is the Antichrist. And this is produced ultimately by the devil, who is the prince of this world. And as prince of this world, he is able to marshal the forces of all of the sinners in the world against the church. And this he has efficaciously done with the permission of God. When we consider the number of sinners, it is clear that by our own, by its own power, the church could never survive against these forces. If the church were merely a natural institution, it would not even exist today. For it is helpless against these forces. Because original sin is in man, inclining him to mortal sin. The broad and easy path is mortal sin. The narrow, difficult path is obedience to the law of God and maintaining the state of grace in our souls. And so, the church could never survive without the help of God. And it is only by the power of God, therefore, that the church has survived and will continue to survive. But in order to survive, the church must invoke the power of God. Just as we must pray for our eternal salvation and pray for the graces to go to heaven, so the church must pray to God for the assistance that she receives against her enemies. An army is useless without its weapons. So is the church powerless against their enemies without supernatural weapons. And, now, and the church prays for this supernatural help in the Mass. If you look at the prayers of the Mass, you will see very often the request by the church for protection from enemies, the invocation of the various saints, for protection from enemies. The great prayer to St. Michael the Archangel is to protect the church from her enemies. We must pray for this, just as you must drive your car to the gas station and fill up from time to time, so the church must go to God every day and fill up. That is, request these graces. For the church is primarily not the buildings, but it is primarily the souls of those who belong to the church. And as you must pray for your, the salvation of your own soul, you must pray also for the protection of the church from the enemies. And failure to pray for your own soul will result in the damnation of your soul and failure to pray for the church will result in the lessening of the church. The church cannot be destroyed. It is against the permission of God. But the church can undergo a great lessening, a setting of her sun, so to speak, which has happened in the past 450 years. It can undergo a weakening as the souls of those who make up the church themselves weaken. And that is due to lack of prayer. And the Church also prays for this protection in the Divine Office and thirdly, in the Holy Rosary. This is the month of the Holy Rosary and we have the Feast of the Holy Rosary this coming week. The history of the Church in the Old and the New Testaments is full of cases in which a small, weak people overcomes a far superior enemy only with the help of God.
Moses and the Egyptians, Joshua and the Canaanites, Joshua who brought down the walls of Jericho by processing around the wall seven times with the Ark of the Covenant and then blowing the trumpets at the command of God and these walls came crashing down and archaeological evidence shows that those walls came down quickly they collapsed and they did so by the power of God at the command of God to pray in a certain way David against Goliath Gideon against the Amorites the Amorites were a pagan people who occupied the Holy Land and the Jews had to flee into the mountains and Gideon was raised up by God to conquer the Amorites and he raised an army of 30,000 Jews to conquer the Amorites which was a large number in those days and God by a series of tests reduced that number of 30,000 to 300 which is 1% and instructed Gideon to use various subterfuges in order to deceive the enemy to think that the Hebrew army was a great army that they could never overcome and by obeying God's instructions concerning certain noise-making devices which you can read in the book of Judges he convinced the army of the Amorites that they were very numerous and they fled before the 300 Jews at the command of God and with the help of God Judas against Holofernes Holofernes had this enormous Assyrian army in front of the little town of Bethulia ready to overrun all of the Holy Land and take Jerusalem and Judith was a widow and God raised her up to go and plead the case of the Jewish people before this monster Holofernes who had wreaked havoc on peoples before him and slew many people in towns and villages and overran the whole area. And Judith was given by God, it says in the book of Judith, a special beauty. And when she went over to see Holofernes, the soldiers who led her to the tent of Holofernes were struck by her beauty. God gave her a magnificent beauty. And there she went in all innocence to Holofernes without any evil intent. And Holofernes was so struck by her beauty that he prepared a meal and sat her down and much wine was presented until he became drunk and she again with the strength of God took his enormous sword picked it up and cut his head off and with that when that was discovered the next day where she took his head and put it in her servant girl's bag and brought it back to the Jews and held up the head of Holofernes and when that was learned by the soldiers in the camp they fled and Judith is a prefiguration of the Blessed Virgin Mary for she overcame something that in natural terms is impossible to overcome solely by the help of God and by a shoestring so to speak the Jewish people were saved by the power of a widow helped and aided by God Esther against the Persians the Jews were meant to be slain by the Persians but Esther having gained the favor of that Persian king 
preserved her people. The Maccabees against Antiochus. Antiochus was a much greater force militarily than the Maccabees. But Antiochus, the great perverter of the law in the Holy Land, was overcome by the power of God. And why, why did God do it this way? Why doesn't God rain down money and weapons upon those whom he wants to do well in battle? Because he wants to show his power, just as in the gospel today. He said, I will show you that I have the power to forgive sins. I have spiritual power. I will show you that I am God. And he tells the man who had the disease to get up. In every intervention that God makes among men, he wants to teach them a lesson. And he wants to humiliate them and make them understand that men are dependent upon God for everything that is good. In the New Testament, we see the conversion of the Roman Empire, starting with 12 uneducated Jewish men. the turning away of Attila the Hun by the mere word of Pope St. Leo the Great. And we don't know to this day what he said to Attila that turned him away from Rome. The victory of Charles Martel against the Muslims in France, driving back the Islamic scourge for centuries until now the apostasy of Europe and their devotion to the birth control pill is going to open the gate to Islam once again. Don't be surprised if one day St. Peter's Basilica is a mosque. Don't be surprised. It has happened before. Many Catholic churches have become mosques. Europe is a dying race. And it, is a, it has a dead religion in the sense that it no longer has its Catholic faith which gave it its life and its civilization. Those things are dead in Europe. And the birth control pill is slowly, slowly snuffing out what was once a great place. And those who are multiplying with their religion and with their babies, that is the Muslims, will one day take those lands over. So do not be surprised if St. Peter's Basilica, if you see the, hanging, the banners hanging with Muslim inscriptions on them. You have also St. Dominic against the Albigensians. The Albigensian heresy, you may not know, was something that could have overrun all of Europe, just like the Protestant heresy. It was very dangerous. But St. Dominic, with a little band of Dominicans, was essentially responsible for turning that back by the power of God, the power of the rosary. There was the Catholic League against the Turks at Lepanto. And what did St. Pius V do? He ordered all of Europe to pray the rosary and organize rosary processions because the European League, the Catholic League, was full of infighting was much weaker than the Turks. They were not as well equipped as the Turks. They were not used to fighting as much as the Turks. Everything natural would have said, the Turks are going to win. The Venetians were fighting against the Spanish and the Florentines were against the Venetians and various other little uh, turf wars grew up among the Catholics. It was not a pretty picture. What saved the day was the Holy Rosary. It wasn't anything in those human beings. It was the Holy Rosary. And then there was the victory of Jan Sobieski, the great Polish general, against the Turks in Vienna. And again, the Pope at the time called for the Holy Rosary. Again, it was a victory against enormous odds And the Feast of the Holy Name of Mary was established as a result of that great victory in the 1600s. 
So if ever there is a time to pray the rosary, it is now. The church has never been more assailed than now and has not seen such small numbers since her beginnings. Handfuls of people here and there dotted around the world. Yet, in your own lifetimes, some of you, you recall enormous churches where there may have been ten masses, just like this one, a day, upstairs and downstairs, loaded from seven o'clock in the morning until perhaps 12.30. And look at what has happened to the faith just in this city. A few pockets here and there of resistance. Most of the people have gone over to the heresy of modernism. Never have we been so reduced. Never has the Catholic Church seen such a reduction in her history. And this is all because of Vatican II, which managed to do more harm to the Church in the past 40 years than all of the heretics combined and enemies of the Church combined over the centuries from the first to the, to the 20th century. If you put them all together and count the number of souls that have been destroyed and churches desecrated, churches handed over to the power of heretics, if you count all of that together for 20 centuries, you do not equal what has happened in the past 40 years. So if ever there's a time, it is now. Look around at the world. As we slide down toward the Antichrist, the world gets worse and worse every day, whether it is the, politically or whether it is culturally. The devil is in complete control. Look at the the crowds that hailed the passing of Michael Jackson. A golden casket for someone who, in every respect, turned your stomach. This is the world under the control of the devil. It is in complete, deep and utter disorder. And so if ever there's a time to pray the rosary, it is now. Even this week, the Society of St. Pius X sits down across the table from the modernists in Rome, the modernists who have done all of this damage over the past 40 years, who have given away our churches, who have stripped them and made them places that look like Protestant churches, who have destroyed the faith in countless souls, who are the enemies of the church, agents of the devil, they're sitting down across the table from these people in an attempt to become part of them. This week it starts. We saw this coming back in 1983, and that's why we made the break in 1983, and here we are facing the reality of it. Now, if we had stayed with them... Where would we be today? What would have, where would our church go? To the local bishop? What would we priests do? Go out and beg? If we don't go along with the modernist arrangement? It's, it's here, it's today, it's this week. They're sitting down with them. That's very, very disturbing because these are people who have received the grace to see. They know. They have the traditional Mass. They have the traditional sacraments. They have real priests most of the time. And they know. They should know. But they are making ready to compromise with these very forces of the Antichrist 
for the, the, these forces of the devil and of the Antichrist enlisted clergy in order to change the Catholic Church so that it would fit in nicely with the whole program of the Antichrist. And those people across the table from the members of the Society of St. Pius X are these very people who destroyed everything that we hold right and good and true and supernatural and beautiful in our lives. And that is very disturbing. So even there, there is failure, there is weakness. And if ever there's a time to call upon the strength of God, it is now. And the Holy Rosary is the way in which you do that. And so be faithful to your rosary. Say it every day. Say it devoutly every day. God is severe in his punishment of nations and of persons who have at one time known the gospel but who have abandoned it. Look at what he did to the Jews in the Old Testament. Time after time gave them severe punishments until finally he destroyed Jerusalem the Chaldeans came under Nebuchadnezzar and leveled it, burned the beautiful temple of Solomon, and they were pulled away into the capital of the Chaldeans, Babylon. And then, having forgiven them again, what did they do? They crucified the Savior. And even then they had a grace period of about 40 years until finally Jerusalem was destroyed again. Infidelity is something that attempts to mock God. God puts up much more with impurity and weakness than he does with the hardened pride of infidelity, blasphemy, apostasy and heresy. For in that way we imitate the devil the most. And so, he has punished Europe by two brutal wars in the last century. And he will deal with them still more as they continue in their apostasy. And he will deal with our country as well. All of these things are coming because all of the elements are there. God is not mocked, as St. Paul says, and he will dispense his justice in due time. And you must have the strength to get through the times that are coming. The little children, probably, that you see here, as adults, will have to live through the times of the Antichrist. Probably. And that might mean great persecution. It certainly will. Perhaps living in poverty. Doing things to avoid having to conform to the strictures and laws of the Antichrist. The New World Order. Under the control of the UN, which as Benedict said in his recent encyclical, should be given teeth. The UN which promotes artificial birth control and abortion throughout the world, Benedict says, it should be given teeth. Well, who is it going to bite with those teeth? It's going to bite you. It's going to bite those who do not go along. And this is the man with whom the Society of St. Pius X is sitting down this week. The man who wants to give teeth to the reign of the Antichrist. And your children and your grandchildren, these young people will have to profess the faith in these times that are coming. And you must give them the strength. And that strength will be found in the Holy Rosary. And that is why I recommend that to you today. Every day, every year. It's easy to become lax about the Rosary. 
but you must see its value and pray it. The Church, in her divine office on the Feast of the Rosary, prays this beautiful antiphon, which I will leave you with today. O powerful Virgin, like the Tower of David, a thousand shields hang upon it, all the armor of the brave. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. episode of From the Pulpit. Be sure to visit truerestorationmedia.com to view our available streaming videos for purchase and direct download. These purchases will help us continue to bring you the best content and show guests in the Catholic world today. And now we present the continuation of tonight's program. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The saints are, in one sense, extraordinary, but in another sense are not. If you think of the sun, if you've ever seen anything on videos or any place else about the sun, you know that on its corona, the outer edge, at times there are very great flashes. And they're quite spectacular. They are bigger than the earth, many times bigger than the earth, of fire coming out from the sun. But there is the rest of the sun. And what warms the earth and the rest of the planets of the solar system is the daily furnace of the sun and not these great flashes. And so God occasionally gives to his church great flashes, great saints who are extraordinary, who do things that we would say are just beyond us. We could never do such a thing. We could never undertake such extraordinary mortifications, for example, or other things that they do. And the reason why they do that is because God gives them the grace to do that. Just as God makes a plant and you pick a rose and marvel at the beauty of the rose, so God in the supernatural order makes beautiful things. And so he makes saints, he makes them by his grace. Whereas he uses a different power to create natural things, he uses his own life, a participation in his own life, to create the beauty of a saint. And that's why we marvel. When you look at St. Peter's Basilica, you think, oh, Michelangelo. You don't think of all of the people that poured the cement and all the people that, that made the rocks. You think of Michelangelo, the person who designed it. He probably never lifted a hammer in that basilica. But he designed it. And so also when we look at a saint, we think of the great designer of the saint. And what the saint has done is merely done what he was told to do just as the workers who work on the great basilica only did what the great designer told them to do. And they are great too. Why? Because they did what they were told to do. And they contributed to a magnificent thing. But a saint really is someone who has merely achieved spiritual perfection. Everything has its perfection. If you plant the rose bush, you expect a rose. And it will achieve the production of a rose 
it will achieve its perfection. And there is nothing extraordinary about a thing achieving its perfection in the order of nature. As a matter of fact, if you plant something and it does not bloom, you say, what went wrong? There was not enough rain, there was not enough fertilizer, something went wrong, the plant was sick. You say, there's some reason why this did not achieve its perfection. So the achievement of perfection, whether in nature or in the supernatural order, is nothing extraordinary in itself. Things fail to achieve their perfection only for some extraordinary reason, and that is disease or drought. If a child, for example, is born with some deformity, it is because something went wrong. It did not achieve its perfection because something went wrong. And so by its very nature, the grace of God wants to bring us to a perfect love of him. The grace of God is a participation in God's own life. And it produces in us what is in God, which is the knowledge of God by faith and the love of God by charity. Just as if we were able to take a little piece of the sun, it would be so hot, it would want to produce heat wherever it is. It would burn something up in a moment because of the intense heat of it. So the the life of God is so hot with the love of God. It wants to draw us, it wants to push us toward the perfection of the love of God. And it will unless it is impeded unless there is something extraordinary which will stop it from doing so. Just as if the workers on St. Peter's Basilica did not follow the plan of Michelangelo, but did their own, we would not see that beautiful basilica today. They would impede the plan by their own stubbornness their own defect. And so we impede the plan of God, we impede the grace of God by our own attachment to creatures and by deliberate venial sin. We destroy the grace of God by mortal sin. In that case, by analogy, the building collapses in a pile of dust or the sun becomes cold, a frozen ball. But venial sin impedes the effect of the grace of God. Now, sooner or later, grace will have its effect. Tomorrow, we are going to pray for the millions, perhaps billions of souls who are detained in purgatory. Why are they detained there? They are in the state of grace. They are assured of their salvation. But they died attached to creatures. And nothing imperfect can enter heaven. And so grace, like that fire of the sun, will demand its perfection in purgatory and those people are suffering right now as we speak suffering in some cases very very intensely because of their attachment to creatures excessive self-love their vanity their pride their avarice disobedience disrespect that's why they are there And we must pray for them a whole day and a whole month of November is especially dedicated to prayers for the holy souls. And the church prays every day in her divine office many times a day, ends the divine office with a prayer for the souls in purgatory. Because nothing defiled, nothing imperfect can enter heaven. So if we are in the state of grace, and if we remain in the state of grace, grace will demand perfection. 
either in this life or in the next. It will have its perfection. We all must become saints. And that's why we refer to the saints in heaven, All Saints Day. All Saints Day doesn't refer merely to the canonized saints, to the great flashes of the sun. It refers to everyone who is in heaven, everyone who sees the face of God. They are all saints because they all have achieved the perfection that God intends for them. And it's important to understand that God intends a different level of perfection for different people because he loves more people, some people, more than others. And so, just as there is a gradation of nature, there is a gradation of the perfection of different flowers. A rose is a much more beautiful flower, a much more perfect flower than, say, a dandelion. If you offered your loved one on St. Valentine's Day a bunch of dandelions, that would be an insult. Yet to offer your loved one a dozen roses is a great honor because of the perfection of the rose. And so God, in his garden of souls, loves some more than others and gives greater perfection to some than to others. And that's why you see the extraordinary saints. That's why you see a, a Saint Francis or a Saint Joseph Cupertino rising into heaven. Because God loves some more than others and also he makes those people very prominent by those graces in order to draw us to sanctity. When we think of the saints, we think of that goal. We are moved. And yes, we may not achieve what they achieved. But we are moved. If God never held out those saints to us, but if everyone were merely mediocre candidates of purgatory, there would never be any drive in the church to sanctity. There would never be any great love of God. Now, in order to become a saint, we must will it. That's what St. Thomas Aquinas said to his sister when she asked him, what must we do to become a saint? And he said, will it. And that's all he said, will it. It was in the same conversation that she said, what is the most important thing to hope for in life? And he said, a good death. And that's all he said. So St. Thomas says, will it. It is similar to those who go and win the Olympic gold. It all starts with a will to do it. If they don't have a will to do it, they never get it. And whereas it is very difficult to win that, it is not very difficult to win spiritual perfection because God wants you to have it. Only a few run the race and win the gold. But if you pray for it, if you will it, and you take the means by the grace of God, God wants to give it to you. He's holding it out to you. It's not just for a few people that win a race. It is for everyone. God wants you to have perfection. He wants to draw you to spiritual perfection just as he draws every single other thing in nature to its perfection. But you must will it. Just as Michelangelo cannot build that basilica by himself, so God will not, as St. Augustine says, will not perform or perfect your salvation unless you will it and without your cooperation. He will not do it. You must will it. And even that willing of it is by his grace. We must, <coughs> unfortunately, most do not ever will it. What most want, and I'm speaking about good Catholics, is a lukewarm, 
mediocre spiritual life with the prospect of enjoying this life as much as they possibly can. They do not want to, quote-unquote, go overboard in the spiritual life lest they crimp in some way their enjoyment of this life. As if the vocation given to them at baptism is to enjoy this life. And that the spiritual life is an accident. It is like lace on the edge of the handkerchief. It is some, a little part of our life. Religion is something we should do, just like we should have a car or we should be interested in sports. We should have religion. But that is not the vocation of baptism. The vocation of baptism is to perfection in the spiritual life. And religion and grace should overwhelm our lives. We should be obsessed with eternal salvation. We should be obsessed with loving God. How can we love God today? How can we love God the way He deserves to be loved? This should be the obsession of our lives, the fire of our daily lives. Because God is God and He deserves to be loved perfectly. He is so good. But the spirituality of the world is enjoy, enjoy. That's the spirituality of the world. The spirituality of faith, on the other hand, is suffer here. Suffer here in order to have a greater crown in heaven. And so the world is divided. So the city of man is divided from the city of God. Between the city of enjoy and the city of the cross. St. Bernard of Clairvaux said, The science of the saints is to choose present affliction for future glory. That's what makes a saint, to choose present affliction for future glory. But why affliction, you might say? Why do we have to have affliction in this life? The answer to that question is sin and the effects of sin. The way to heaven is not in joy. The way to heaven is the cross of Christ. Any enjoyment that we have in this life must be in accordance with the law of the Holy Cross. And in addition to willing it, we must pray for it. St. Alphonsus says that getting to heaven is merely a question of praying for it. If we sincerely beg God for our spiritual perfection, he will give it to us. And for some, as I said, he wills a greater sanctity than for others. But we have to will and pray for the sanctity that he intends for us. According to our state in life, what he has willed for us from all eternity. And if we obtain the grace of spiritual perfection, we will have it only through the means of tribulation and affliction. When you kneel and pray for spiritual perfection, expect tribulation and affliction. Expect the Holy Cross and the greater perfection that God demands from you, the greater the cross, the greater the tribulation and the affliction. Understand that when you will it, you are willing the means to it, and the means is tribulation and affliction. St. Aloysius Gonzaga said, There is no more evident mark of man being a saint and of being of the number of the elect than to behold him of a devout life and at the same time exercised with desolation sufferings and tribulation. But what do most do when desolation, sufferings and tribulation come? They complain. As if we are anointed at baptism for a life of enjoyment. 
You are anointed with the cross on your head at baptism, I remind you. The cross of chrism, which is a symbol of the grace of God. You are anointed with the Holy Cross. If you are to achieve heaven, it is by the Holy Cross. So today, will to be a saint. Pray to God for the grace to be a saint. And <clears throat> bear patiently the Holy Cross, which is the royal road to sanctity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed, but more importantly, found informative and beneficial this week's presentation of From the Pulpit. For more information on the Episcopal ministry of Bishop Sanborn, you may write to him at the following. Most Reverend Donald J. Sanborn, 1000 Spring Lake Highway, Brooksville, Florida, 34602. Bishop Sanborn is rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and is a frequent guest on the Restoration Radio Network. He has made appearances on Clerical Conversations on the Crisis, as well as our flagship show, True Restoration, speaking on many timely topics. Earlier this year, we featured Bishop Sanborn's Vatican II series on From the Pulpit, which is a five-part expose on the errors and heresies contained in Vatican II. For our listeners who are new to tradition and asking questions about how the Church arrived at its present state, this is a great starting point. You can find the shows on the Restoration Radio homepage. We will be on air one week from this evening at the same time and will present another installment of From the Pulpit. We at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be of value to you and to your Catholic faith, that you would please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate, no matter how small it may be. To those of you who have donated, a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and generosity. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to leave us a message on our Twitter handle, at True Restoration, or via email at mail at truerestoration.org. Until next time, keep the faith. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.